Let's hit it. And welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. everyone to Alzheimer Speaks Radio and if you enjoyed our opening music called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band you can now download it on any of your favorite music platforms and for those of you that are new to Alzheimer Speaks we're about sound information not just sound bites our goal is to raise voices big and small all around the world from those diagnosed those that care and serve them to advocates researchers and more now, today's show is going to be about COVID-19. We're doing weekly specials, and we're talking with people, again, around the world at all different levels, and so we're going to have a great conversation. But before we go there, I want to just give a shout out to a couple of organizations. One is the Memory Cafe Directory. It's a great time to connect virtually, so go to memorycafedirectory.com for more information. The other is Live to be Healthy, which is a exercise and wellness company that is now doing things online and you can go to live the number two letter b and then healthy uh, for more information now next week we are going to be speaking with george branzini and the inventor of contact tracing which is an app called covid-19 contacts.com and he is going to be part of our COVID special next week. This is a really important time uh, for us to be tracking who are we by. And so the app COVID-19contacts.com is a public service app for contact tracing. And the app allows you to create and maintain a list of your COVID-19 contacts and the people you have come within six feet of so that if you would become infected, they could quickly contact those to slow down the spread of the virus. The app is free and it's created as a public service, not commercial. So it's private, it's secure, and it's easy to use, and it's globally accessible in six languages. And it's already being used in 40 countries. So take a look now and then tune in next week when George joins us for the next COVID-19 special. I want to remind everyone that all of our shows here are archived. Not all are uh, video like we're doing today. Any video shows are also uploaded to audios. But if you want a complete access, go to our Alzheimer's Speaks radio page for all shows. Otherwise, you can find our, on our YouTube channel, Alzheimer's Speaks, the video shows, along with dementia chats and dementia quick tips and a lot of other things that we do. 
So last, I just want to thank each and every one of you being our listeners, your likes, your clicks, your shares, your subscriptions to Alzheimer's Speaks on all our various channels from the radio to the blog, to the website, to YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, all that stuff matters because it, it helps push out good, solid content to people all around the world. So let's go ahead and introduce you to our guests, which I'm gonna have them each introduce themselves because they can do a much better job telling you about who they are than I ever could do. So my name is Lori LeBay and I'm the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks and I started this company because my mother had dementia for 30 years and I just felt it critical for us to share resources and also raise one another's voices at all different levels because everybody has an impact and the more knowledge we have, the better we can understand the true needs of the disease and be supportive to everyone at every level. So that's, that's me. Kathy, I'm going to throw it to you and have you introduce yourself, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I play two roles in this conversation. First of all, I am someone who lives with mild cognitive impairment myself from an auto accident. And then secondly, um, as I said earlier, I am a co-founder of a company called Dementia Raw. And what we do is we solely focus on communication techniques um, that caregivers can use, and the communication is based on the rules of improv. So our goal is to make sure that everybody in a family, including the children from the ages of nine all the way up, can um, take on the rules of improv quickly and easily with their adult, well, their, the adult children, the parents, and use it with grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle, whoever it is that's living with dementia, and everyone that has a continuity of communication and in essence the idea of improv is something that creates connection that is the goal of it that's how it was created so our idea was let's start there let's use those rules of improv and let's enhance communication by creating connection wonderful thank you Kathy and James do you want to introduce yourself my name is James Hamilton I'm a certified dementia professional I became a certified dementia professional a few months ago um, as one of the first that took the global test who actually had dementia, um, I, I, so I, I get to use the, the letters CDP, however, I'm not a practitioner because uh, they won't even let me drive a car, more or less uh, uh, <laughs> practice medicine. So, but uh, I'm fascinated by the topic. I've got a LinkedIn group and a Facebook group um, called Dementia Family, Friends, and Caregivers. And I'm also working with my local area council on aging and the Alzheimer's Association to make my city a dementia-friendly city. Wonderful. Thank you. And I'm going to see if I can get your name right. So here, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself next. Wow, Laurie. Thank you for inviting me in your show. And my name is Geert Wettinger. It's a difficult name. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm from the Netherlands. And I'm 68 years old uh, and I started as a nurse, a social worker, a teacher, a trainer, coach, um, and I'm working with uh, children. I work with children with uh, developmental disabilities and with uh, adults. I work with elderly people and people with psychiatric problems, all kinds of. And in the last 14 years before I stopped, I was a teacher on a, a nursery school. And I stopped working in the school when I was 61. 
And then I wrote a book. It's called Moving On by Standing Still. And this book now is all over the world and it's translated in Chinese. So I, I have also in China, I have some uh, meetings. It's, it's translated in Romanian language. We are uh, looking for uh, to help the people there. And now it will be translated also into German. And Laurie is a good friend of mine. After two years, I can say this. <laughs> I'm always happy to be in your show. Wonderful. Before we dive in too much into the COVID, I want to just ask each of you, and you've, you've explained a little bit about how you've been touched by dementia for, for Kathy and James, but I'd like to know a little bit more, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our audience, what it was like when you got that diagnosis and did it affect your, your relationships at all? Kathy, do you mind starting with that? If I can remember, interestingly, how I was diagnosed is that I was starting to show a lot of different moods, uh, some anxiety, some depression, things like that. And then I was noticing that I was forgetting things at work, forgetting to complete things at work, and it was starting to bother me. My family brought it up to me. They thought that there was something wrong. Um, I've done things such as leave the stove on and leave the house. I've done that several times. Um, I'm very, very bad with names. Uh, I have to write everything down. So uh, I was not ever formally diagnosed right after my accident. It took several, several years and a lot of different um, strange symptoms that came up, including a lot of balance issues, um, sensitivity to light, headaches, those types of things when I started to see a neurologist and they did diagnose me. Um, and I just have follow-ups uh, every year or so. Um, and my family is certainly good at keeping me following up with that because they remind me of, um, mom, you can't remember this, so let's talk about it again. But um, I've lost chunks of time, lots of chunks of time, which can make things very difficult. And I try to be very transparent with my diagnosis because I think it's important for people to know if they're working with me or playing with me, um, that if I forget something or forget their name, it is not because I'm trying to be rude. Um, it's simply... I, I, a deficit I have, uh, but it, it helps keep things interesting. <laughs> okay, great. And with, you, with your family, do you mind sharing? Because you've got young kids at home, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, how old they are. Yes, I have a 19-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 13-year-old. Um, my 19-year-old is really up on reminding me that I don't remember stuff. Um, he's like, you're not going to remember that I told you this, Mom. Um, my 18-year-old's really good. She, she helps push me to stay healthy. She keeps me exercising. She's doing stuff like that. Um, I don't know if my 13-year-old really noticed. I think this is how he's always grown up. And, and really, 13 years is about when I was formally diagnosed. So this is what he's always known of me. Um, so he's used to seeing, we have a giant chalkboard in our kitchen. The wall is a chalkboard wall. And he is used to walking in and seeing notes and things just all over the place. He's just, he's just grown up with it that way. Um, but there's a lot of times my husband will tell me something that we did a couple years ago and I'll be like, nope, that is not even there. I don't even have that in my head. And some memories just feel like maybe they were a dream I had, but I can't quite hold on to it as a real experience. That's when I know I'm struggling and, and definitely stress exacerbates it. Okay, great. Thank you for sharing. James, how about you? I found it to be interesting when I was diagnosed. Uh, thankfully, um, again, I was at school teaching. And so one of the students recognized the fact that I was a little bit more off than normal, which for a high school student, that's pretty impressive. And they went and got a, another teacher um, 
and uh, explain to them that, hey, there's, there's something definitely wrong with Mr. Hamilton beyond the usual. So uh, I, there I went off to the hospital and uh, they said, you know, short-term memory loss and, and uh, it happened again a week later. And that's when I went back and, and uh, they said, okay, we're going to have to run some tests. Um, I had uh, actually fallen in the shower and dislocated a, a shoulder. Um, and in doing so, uh, I thought, well, maybe there's, that it has something to do with that. I wasn't sure. Maybe I bumped my head. But uh, after a month in the hospital, they came and gave me the dementia diagnosis. And again, I was not sure what it was. Explaining it to my family and uh, my friends uh, was, was a big step because uh, there are so many different stigmas with what is dementia and is, is there something wrong with that person or what's going to happen to that person. And um, so I had to overcome those stigmas myself first. And then I thought, okay, I need to tell people about dementia. I need to share the information that I'm learning along the way. Uh, I was still living in uh, an apartment by myself at the time and was in the kitchen uh, making stuffed mushrooms one evening when a, a hippopotamus appeared and was helping me with the, the stuffed mushrooms recipe and uh, actually made some brilliant suggestions and then also suggested that I might start writing things down because my memory was not good and uh, even said I, I might be hallucinating. And it turns out after I discussed this with my, my doctor, uh, I didn't actually have a hippopotamus in my kitchen. So, so yes, the hallucinations were real. But uh, I later moved into a facility. I'm currently in an assisted living facility uh, just because dementia is like a roller coaster. You have good days and you have bad days. So uh, I make sure that when I do these podcasts that uh, they're on a good day. So you're, you're good for now, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. And Harris, how have you been affected by dementia? Have you had anyone in your family or close circle of friends? Yeah, my mother, my mother, she had, had dementia, uh, vascular uh, dementia she had. But uh, the, I'm, always, I'm always interested in behavior of people. And uh, uh, when I was a child, I was sexually abused. So I, I showed some problem behavior. I showed some rude behavior. So I was judged by many people. I was a bad boy like that. And since that time, I always am interested in why does the person do uh, like he does. Uh, even when I when I work with children with developmental disabilities, uh, some were very rough and some were very quiet. And but in the, I I I I noticed that uh, we judge most of the behavior we judge, and we call this problem behavior and. My opinion is it is not me who shows problem behavior, but it's the care worker who shows problem behavior. I agree so much. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> You'll love this book. It's really good. Awesome. It's for me very, very, very important. Uh, so yes. I, I, I work in all my life with this uh, attitude. Um, I think people with... with they, they, they try to make it clear that something is wrong. And nobody wants to be rude. Nobody wants to be unpolite. Everybody wants to be loved, etc. But 
we diagnose so many people. We have all the, the marks on the people. Huh? Like James, for me, you told you have uh, a dementia and even Kathy, but for me, you're Kathy with dementia or James with dementia. But in the first place, you're Kathy and, 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 and James. For me, it's the most important that we do. And that's why I wrote a book about this. It's, mm -hmm. it, it's we are the, the care workers are not bad people, but we, we have to listen to people. So I, my mother, she had dementia. I didn't like my mother. Really, I didn't like her. She didn't like me either. But I know why. Because I was a very problem child. I was a problem child at that time. So there was some separating. But even um, because of this situation, I tried to understand what she wanted to uh, make me clear. So and that's, that's, that's for me very important. Stop talking about problem behavior. Let's, talk, let's call it signal behavior. Because when you see it as a signal, I have to, to watch out. And when I say it's a problem, I can do this, you know? So you know me, Laurie, I'm always talking about this and it's, it's my passion. Yeah. Well, meeting you um, changed some of the stuff I do in my training and I always, you know, do something on words and, you know, getting rid of using caregiver and using care partner, care companion and, now I have behavior on there with, with signals or reactions, and then I always reference your book. Um, and, and that people, there's almost like a gasp in the room when people go, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And when, when we're um, telling somebody that they have, that, that they're a problem, you know, it's like putting them in the corner, and you think of how many times a day they're shoved in that corner or felt to be less than, it's really really important work that you're doing. So I appreciate that. Well, let's dive into the COVID part because that's really why, uh, why I'm gathering is I want to hear how people at all ages and stages around the world are dealing with this. So Kathy, I'm going to go back up to you and start with you. If, you, if, if this has affected your life and that can be from your family to your business to you know, whatever. Um, and how, and if so, how are you coping? And what are some of the challenges and, and joys that you found from the project? Joys, huh? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I am sheltering in place with my family. So there's five of us in the house right now. Um, we're from Northwest Indiana, and we are not too far from a very big hot spot in uh, Illinois and Chicago. So we have made the decision to stay place. Um, none of us are going to work right now. It's made things very interesting in the house. Um, a lot of the spaces around us, the parks, the trails, they've all started to close down. You know, when you're in the house, you want to get out and now you can't. So it's made things pretty interesting. Um, in regards to business, yeah, stinks because I was supposed to be a, um, uh, a keynote speaker in Reno in two weeks, had my whole speech presented, had my PowerPoint all put together, was really proud of what I was going to be doing, and, and that is not happening. So obviously from a business perspective, yes, everything has just kind of gotten put on hold. Um, personally, you know, it's interesting. I, I have the family members that I have. One of them has mental illness. One of them has um, autism. So it has made living in close, close quarters with them very, very difficult, very different. It's helped me realize that when we're sheltered in place with someone who we need space from, it can be very, very trying. So with that insight, I 
have tried to, and I'm hopefully pushing out um, a virtual support group for caregivers who are sheltered in place with their loved one who is living with dementia. Because I think a lot of caregivers um, were looking and using that social interaction at work, um, work itself, going to work as a respite a lot of times from that person who is living with dementia so they can kind of build themselves up and get that energy back so they can come home and then take care of mom or dad. Now they don't have that anymore and it's 24 seven. Um, I feel it on my end and I can only, only imagine what that must feel like for other people. So I am trying my best as I shelter at home to provide some kind of service to someone. Uh, I think this is something a lot of people are going through right now is we're all stuck on the couch and we are not waking up early. We are wearing our pajamas or our sweatpants every day. And we're feeling bad about the fact that we're not contributing to society as a whole. I'm not a, I'm not a frontline worker, so do I feel really bad about myself? So this was something I felt like I could do. I am taking it step by step just to see how it works. Um, but that's, that is what I'm doing right now. Everything is, is we're holding our own. We got lots of food and toilet paper, so we're good here. Um, but on a personal note, one of the things that I am doing is I'm trying to make sure I stick to as best a schedule as I possibly can. Um, I can find myself falling out of a routine really, really quickly. So again, I talked about that chalkboard I have on the wall. I still write down a schedule every day. I actually still track the COVID numbers every day just because it helps me kind of see where things are. I also set my clothes out the night before. And what that does is it kind of tricks my mind into going, you have something you have to do today, whether it's my workout clothes or it's a pair of jeans so that I'm not wearing sweatpants every day. I'm trying to continue to have some sort of routine so that I don't fall out of things. And that routine really helps me with my memory impairment as well. So I hope that that's answered some questions for you. Great. Um, just a couple others. How are, the, how are the kids dealing with this? Uh, my daughter's taking it pretty hard. She had to come home from Purdue, which is uh, South Indiana. We had to go pick her up, and then we were told we had to move her out a week later. Um, that's been hard for her. She was just starting to gain independence and really enjoying her life at the dorm in college. So it's taken a little bit of um, an adjustment for her. But she and I, because we're very similar, have created our schedule. So every night we talk about what are we doing tomorrow. When are we going to exercise? When am I going to work on the computer? When is she going to do her schoolwork? And somehow for her and I, it's just a very nice symbiotic relationship. It helps us keep a routine. Um, my son, who's 19, works at a grocery store. We've asked him not to go to work. Um, he's having a really hard time with that. He feels as though he is a frontline essential worker and should be there. But because we have some people in the house that have um, underlying health conditions, we really don't want anyone getting sick. So we've asked him not to go. He is one of those that's taking on this concept of, I should be out there helping and I'm not. Am I a bad person? So we've had to have a lot of conversations with him about that. And then my 13-year-old, he's doing well. He's always had an online presence with his friends, so that's just kind of amped up. He's doing his schoolwork online. He's itching to get out of the house. He tries to go on walks with his friends as often as he can, but we're starting to actually ask him to pull back on that too, just because the numbers are starting to increase in our area. And I won't, I won't deny the fact that there's a little bit of paranoia going on within at least my household. So pulling back for us just feels like the right thing to do. Thank you so much for sharing all that. That's really helpful. I think, you know, one of the things I love about these COVID specials is 
there's a lot of people that think they're the only ones having these thoughts or feelings. And, you know, like you said, a little bit of paranoia. And I think everybody out there is having that and, and people are feeling guilty about yeah. that. And yet if we, if we don't self-isolate, if we don't do these shelters in place, I mean, the numbers are staggering. And so it's a protection thing and it's a spooky thing because, you know, they're talking about this could be, you know, the next great depression not, or, you know, probably isn't going to be a recession and it's not just going to be here. It's going to be on a global level. And I know for myself, I've had to just come to deal with it on a day by day basis going, I'm not alone in this. I can't fix this. So my job is to do the best I can with what I have and to follow the rules and to try to make it go away and knowing you know, we'll make it somehow. It's going to be different. Um, but I'm also seeing some some neat things happening as far as connections. Are you seeing some of that? I mean, some people are, are rolling their eyes about talking about, you know, being so close to their family and going, yeza, I don't know how much more of this I can take. And others are going, gosh, we're having meals together. We have yes. meals together. In yes. We're talking, yes. we're playing board games. We're yes. Yeah. So. I'm seeing all of that. I actually read something yesterday that said phone calls have gone up like by 80% where they anticipated it was going to be internet usage. And that was kind of encouraging for me to see that we always have kind of said we're an internet generation. We're raising our children to be in the internet. They've got this hunched back and these giant thumbs so they can text and stuff. But the reality is when it comes down to it, we do miss human interaction and we do need it. And that is something I'm seeing too before the trails were closed. I saw more people on the trail walking than I have ever seen before. So it's because we're forced to be in, it's making us want to move out. I, I don't understand. I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting psychology and sociology um, research that we're going to find out about this in the future, just on how humans interact and what they truly, truly need. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting too, because I think people will evaluate not just what they want, but what do they actually need. And I think their wants are really going to change after this. I think uh, what maybe was important before isn't going to be so much. And I think they're going to see, I think they're learning to experience greater ways to connect and the importance of that in other specials I've done and just by doing our dementia chats. Um, has been very interesting because one of the things that the people with dementia had said is like, hmm, my life hasn't changed a lot. You know, I went through this self-isolation when I got diagnosed, people fell back from me and I've learned to use the internet to connect. And I'm really familiar with zoom and, you know, I don't need to go outside because uh, for some it's the overstimulation and stuff. And so you know, they're saying, you know, I, I think our, our group has a lot to teach people on how to adjust to life it, when you're feeling isolated, which I found really incredible. Um, I think that's what the one thing that I have found interesting that I can take from my own home and then put it out into the world of dementia is that I live with four other people right now. I see them constantly and each one of them is progressing through this and coping with it in a different way. Some people are looking for more interaction and some people are backing themselves off and kind of going into their room and closing themselves down. And I think that that's interesting because even in a house where everyone was raised the same, supposedly, somehow... <laughs> and we all are related, we each have our own ways of coping with this type of stress. And I think that that's a really good takeaway when it comes to caregivers, 
you know, of the same family, they're each going to have their own way of coping with the stress of mom or dad who's living with dementia. And the same goes for the person who's living with dementia. If this does in fact affect them, they're going to have very different ways of showing how they're coping with that stress. Agree. Um, Hurt, you go ahead. Yes, Laurie. Yes, Laurie. Uh, I, I agree. It, 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 it gives a lot of op new opportunities what's going on in the world. But for me, there is, a, there is a also, we, we can get a chance. It's also a, a, a discussion about healthy. What, what is health? Is that only physical or is also social or emotional? And, and what I see is it's always the medical approach. It's always the, the, to cure the people. But I believe more and more in the social approach. And what you see now, people are isolated. People in the nursery homes are isolated. They, some die without any family. It's really horrible. And we all look from the medical view. And I think it's okay. But we have to be neat. What is the quality of life? And social contact, people without social contact, you know, when a baby has no social contact, has no physical contact, he will die. And now you see the vulnerable people also dying because of loneliness. And I'm worried about that. Um, and I think we have to discuss this. Of course, medical approach is important, but it's always this. It's the medical approach, the medical uh, view. And I think we also have to talk about the emotional view and the social view. Uh, when I am that old, I don't want to die because of Corona, but I even don't want to die because I feel very lonely. So we, we, have, we have to talk about that. The balance. Kathy, you had a comment? I did. I just wanted to jump on what Herit has said because I agree. I think one of the things I've noticed is that um, from a social perspective, certainly we're getting on and looking at the news every day. We're all trying to like catch up and figure out what happened overnight. And we keep seeing political stuff and are we running out of masks and this and that. And very few, few articles are actually talking about what that process is. Um, what people are actually going through, like you're saying, in a hospital, in a nursing home where they're dying alone. And when I see those articles, that's when it hits me because then I realize I've made myself numb to this. It is amazing how quickly a really big number just becomes a number. And it doesn't really encapsulate the amount of lives that's is affecting it all. So I get on every morning and I look at, okay, what's the world count? And it's just this bigger number that just keeps getting bigger, but it has no meaning. And yet I'll see an article about, a woman who had to say goodbye to her husband over the phone and they were singing to him um, about, I saw a picture the other day about how they were wrapping the bodies in white cloths and putting them into cooler boxes. Those visions to me hit me and go, this is real. And it's hard to understand that this is real when you're stuck in your own four walls. And I feel like we do need to see more of that. We need to see, like Harriet said, more of this social. We need to see how this is hitting people on an emotional and social level for us to seriously, to take it seriously. I think we can become numb to the input that we're getting that is political and just numbers so much that we forget what this is really all about, which is people. Yes, yes. But to be honest, mostly our uh, nurses working in a, in, a, in a nursery home. And I believe we need more persons to work in a nursery home because 
because the, the well-being is even as important as the as the as the, uh, the body but we are still educating nurses to to care with people with dementia but i i don't need a nurse when i have dementia maybe 10 percent of my time is nursing yeah, when I, to, to help me washing my, my body or whatever but mostly people want to have contact and you don't need to to study for contact so i think this we have we have to to, to realize this moment as a very big uh, medical approach, uh, medical uh, oxygen, etc., etc. Of course, important. But now we have to stand still. We, we, we have to stand still because of thinking, what is the life of a person when you are 80 years old and you have to, to die alone? You have to, your last days alone? Please, give me gave me COVID-19. In that case, I will, don't want to die alone. So we have to think about this. And there, about this. And there is talk uh, too, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about mental health before this hit, but we're going to see a lot more conversation and they're, they're talking. I, I've seen several articles and uh, things on YouTube and, you know, with the news and stuff talking about, you know, our frontline staff is going to have post-traumatic stress from this. And that's a whole nother layer. And that is something people live with, you know, all their life. So, I mean, there are so many things that are going to be changing, I think, for the good. Um, I had a friend the other day whose mom died in a nursing home. Not sure if it was COVID or not. Uh, they don't think so. But the other part we're not talking about is the need for families to connect to those who they can't see anymore. And I've been like screaming at the top of my lungs to organizations and they're, you know, they're so focused on, and they need to be caring for the people that are there, but they have to care for those, those loved ones of people in their communities, as well as their potential clients. Um, my friend Cindy, and she won't mind me sharing this, her mom passed away, but you know, they were doing FaceTime. So she was able to talk to her and see her her brother didn't do that, and she was on the second floor, and he would literally go over with a ladder, climb up the ladder to see her, and he was so thankful he got to do that the day before she died, that, or the day that she died that evening, and um, I mean, these are desperate measures that people are, are doing to connect, and we really need communities to help help us support them through this, even if they can't physically be there. Um, they can connect with educators who can facilitate, you know, um, education and support groups or gatherings so that they can get a little bit of both steel field connected under their sponsorship, you know, and it, it just, um, it, it saddens me because I hear from so many families that are, that are struggling so bad. James, I want to get to you. And um, let me unmute you there and hear how are you doing with COVID and how has it affected your life? Well, it's been kind of interesting. I, I have a similar um, focus, I, I guess, on, on wellness, understanding that, yes, there's the physical wellness. So daily exercise and activity is extremely important. There is the social wellness making sure that we are taking care of each other and focused on that. But for two years, I was also a stand-up comedian. 
So um, every single day in my groups, I post something that is a joke. I post humor. I post as much positive messages as I can. We can get bogged down in the daily numbers and statistics and political stuff that goes on with this COVID, or we can take a deep breath, focus on our mental health, relax, take care of one another, laugh, and enjoy this. One of my favorite comedians, Red Skelton, always used to say, don't take life too seriously. You're never going to get out of it alive. And I think that is such a valid point. Uh, I would really much rather go out when my time comes telling somebody a joke or making somebody smile and feel good about themselves than being bogged down in some of the stuff that is being put out there. I do agree that our mental recovery after all this is, is going to be something we're going to have to focus on. But right now, uh, we can focus on taking care of one another, spreading positive messages, making people laugh. I work a lot with other people here in the facility to try to bring some humor and joy to their days. Uh, I do everything I possibly can to, uh, to bring that smile because that mental part of the social interaction of joy and humor is, is really going to be the thing that's going to save us all. Uh, with dementia, it's interesting because I think this COVID has been a, an opportunity for us to prepare ourselves. Uh, currently, when you look at all these statistics that keep being thrown out by COVID and how many people have the disease, or 5.8 rather, in the United States and, and 58 million worldwide have some form of dementia. And by the year 2050, that'll be 152 million people, according to the World Health Organization. So as far as this being an opportunity for us to say, what are we going to do about that next pandemic? I think this is a pretty good training ground. How are we going to handle the next one, which uh, there is no cure at this point, and it's been around a long time. Go ahead, Kurt. I think there's one receipt on what you say, James. I, I know there's a new epidemic you call uh, the dementia, but there's one um, medicine for that. Content. For me, that's the only. Of course, it's very important to make, to make jokes and to, to, to have fun and to laugh. I agree. It's a very, you can relax yourself. But I think we, we, we have to, to go back to the normal contact between persons and not between dementia and, and care workers, no, between you and me. And for me, that is the best medical medicine. I want to meet James. I'm not, I don't want to talk with dementia, James. I want to talk with James. I want to meet you and not the dementia. Uh, I think we make, it, we make it too big. And we are all very small. You can see now in the COVID period. We are very small people, very numbers, you can say. But uh, for me, it's, it's most important to have contact. I, I, I don't want to talk with dementia people. I want to talk with you. I want I, to touch you. I, I agree I with you completely. Okay. Uh, I think one of the things that we're going to be uh, emphasizing, especially going forward, uh, is that statement about dementia that when you've met one person with dementia, you've only met one person. Yes. Because we're all unique. We're all different. And the same thing is going to go for 
every disease that might come along the way. We're all different. The way uh, Kathy gets through her day, the way I get through my day, they might be two completely different. Yes. Uh, I know quite a few people with dementia, and, and we all handle that process a little bit different. But uh, I think our society as a whole right now has a wonderful opportunity as we evolve in what is social interaction and uh, how can we make the best of it right now. Uh, somebody said the other day, and I, and I totally agree, Lori, uh, in your vocabulary terms, this, this whole thing about social distancing is wrong. We're not social distancing. We're physical distancing. We're still connecting. I connect with thousands of people every single day online, through connections, on the phone. I'm still connecting. I'm still social. I'm just physically separated. I love that. I, I'm going to add that to my, my <laughs> repertoire there. The other thing when you guys were talking about um, – emphasizing, you know, big and small groups and dementia or not. And to me, I think, I think we're in a time of equalization because any, this, this can attack anyone just like dementia can, just like heart disease can, just like diabetes can. But we're also seeing now with a lot of the African-Americans really being hit hard by this because of, and they're saying that they believe it's social economic not access to healthcare and, and different things, uh, you know, I think that's going to be looked at much closer and realizing, um, and, and this is something I've always done in my dementia training, and I think the rest of you guys have too, is we are much more alike than we are different. And, you yes. know, what is good for dementia is good for all. And it's really been about staying connected, having purpose, feeling purposeful, and um, and letting go of the stuff we can't control and moving on with life. And so I think there are so many beautiful lessons in this disease, but I too would like to see more conversations about mental health and coping. And, you know, I've got a, a couple of friends who are really, they're so focused on finances and, you know, what's happening in their world. And I'm like, really, if you, are, are you going to, do you value your money and your things more than your life? I mean, to me, that's what it comes down to. Where are you going to focus your time and your energy? Because as we worry more and have higher anxiety levels, that decreases our immune system, makes us more susceptible to all of this, plus a ton of other things, <laughs> you know, could happen to us as well. So I think, um, I think there's a lot of, beautiful things happening. I see people reaching across aisles. I see the collaborations that are happening. I mean, even with our government where I can pull out my hair listening to them sometimes, um, you know, you see them coming together and going greater good, greater good. We've, we've got to handle this. Um, and again, I, I don't think well, I won't go there, but I, but I'm seeing some of that start to change and I'm seeing that start to change even within industries going, well, that's not what we used to do, but we can do that. We can make masks. We can do ventilators. We can, we can get outside of our silo and be more collaborative and in, in meet the needs, be more economically conscious and, and realize that, hey, when we lay people off, this affects them. 
I mean, this is really something where, and not that companies didn't before, but it's on a whole nother level that they're seeing it. And, and the government um, is saying, let's keep people at work. Let's still let them work from home. Let's do something to protect those jobs. So everybody doesn't have to stay all over. I think there's just a huge um, reanalyzing and Lord knows it is far from perfect out there in terms how smoothly things are or aren't going. But I look at the people who are stepping up, people who, and, and the respect they're, they're given now. I mean, and even like, hey, Kathy, you said your son works in a grocery store. People, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but people were probably like me and didn't, I didn't think one way or the other about the guy in the grocery store, the gal in the grocery store. I am very appreciative for those stocking the shelves, those oh, truck yes. drivers, the nurses, the healthcare, the police, the EMT. I mean, the the gratitude that I think people are 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 seeing and feeling for all of those that weren't really recognized um, and valued, I think, is really changing. And and Herod, are you seeing that in your country? I think we're seeing that a lot here. What I read about uh, the United States and uh, healthcare is not so good, not not for every person. I, I see this in the Netherlands. It's it's for everybody the same. Uh, rich, poor, or with work, without work, is the same. So for us, it's different. Um, uh, for you, you can see so many people, uh, many poor people. They they can can get any care or any. It's horrible what what I read about the United States. Uh, no, and here in the Netherlands, that's, that's not the case, not the problem, no. What about like grocery store workers and truck drivers and some of those other positions? Are you seeing? I see some difference uh, between four weeks ago and now. They are much more appreciated and they are more, more valuable. I can see this. It's okay. Um, but I, 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 what I miss is just the, the volunteers. The volunteers who always visit people with dementia, who, who walk with people, they are not allowed to, to visit these people because they are not professional. And it, it hits me in the heart because these volunteers are very important because they have the personal contact with people with dementia. So of course the nurses are important, but also the volunteers are important. And I want to make to break something for these people. They are very, very important. Well, and I agree. And I think, um, I don't think we're harnessing our volunteerism right now. Um, you know, I've, I've talked with many people in a lot of different positions yes. from, from cities to communities, to hospitals and clinics, to stores. And, you know, they're not tapping into a community wealth that's willing to help. And, and I'll just use one example of even the face mask. There are a lot of people out there that like to sew, know how to sew. I'm not one of them. You know, I, I tore a double needle apart when I was in high school thinking it melted together. So they don't want me on the machine. But there are a lot of people that are willing to make things and give them away. And that would help people in the stores who haven't had a mask. That would help the police help, um, you know, when they're going out on a call to say, would you mind wearing this? while we're here and then leaving it with them. So we're, we're, you know, we're getting the, the needs met, 
by different people, but they have to be directed or there's, uh, I've got one friend and she's started kind of a circle and she's connecting with some communities and saying, can we, can you match us up with pen pals? You know, give us the name of people and we will, we'll write a card every week or a couple times a week, or maybe it's telephone conversations for some. And I know, I know there's that paranoia of what if there's a bad apple and somebody's a scammer? I get that. But we, you know, we've got to be able to protect our people and tap our community and give them some purpose as well. You know, maybe it's uh, talking with somebody in a community and maybe there's going to be a time where one person, even if they just get to walk around on their floor talking to somebody, they get out of their apartment, you know, or their unit and they're talking with somebody or if it's an iPad and get out and then it goes, it gets cleaned, it goes on to the next person where they're like taking a walk, you know, they're getting a little physical X. I mean, there's a lot of different things or arranging parades or kids coming to, um, you know, for events instead of, you know, musicians, maybe they're going to do something virtual. Maybe there's going to be, um, the kids are going to come at different times and they're going to supply the chalk or the kids bring the chalk and they just decorate the, the parking lot, you know? And so it's something for them to get out and look at. Um, I, I think it's endless what could be tapped that isn't being tapped. And part of the reason it's not being tapped is, you know, they're short staffed and they don't know where to start or how to reach out. And, and I think that, I, I think that could be orchestrated fairly easily, especially if it was coordinated on a city level. Like there's one, um, one town here, they're going to have like a little parade for the kids and the kids are just going to you know, take their bikes or their wagons, or they're going to walk and they're going to social distance, but they're going to do a parade throughout town, social distancing. So people have something to look at and go, oh, isn't that cute? You know, and I, I think there's tons of creative ways to, to do this in a safe fashion and learn to, uh, again, connect and appreciate the little things in life that we've really surpassed and overlooked. I had an opportunity to uh, uh, read an article the other day about two children, junior high age children in New Jersey, and they started a program called fivehelp.org. Their purpose was to make sure that their local businesses were still up and running and still functioning during this time as much as they could trying to adapt because they wanted to make sure that their local businesses were taken care of. And then they also added to that to encourage people who are uh, essential workers, giving them the opportunity to eat at some of these restaurants for free and giving them special discounts for people who are still able to cut hair through windows and doing all sorts of stuff and getting them face masks. But this has now gone from two little children in New Jersey to now they've challenged out into the nation so this fivehelp.org has become a national movement done by children. So to your point, uh, we need to start paying attention about what, what we can do to help, what differences we can make. Because if children are doing this, then adults can, can do a phenomenal things. Uh, we just need to put our thinking caps on and, and do it. Well, and I think one of the great things with children is they haven't 
they haven't been through as much life experience and they're not as worried about failure. Right. You know, they just come up with an idea and they go for it where we're like, well, you know, what if this happens or we're not quite ready or, you know, and, and kids are like, oh, we'll change, we'll adapt, we'll fix it as we go. Let's just make it work. Come on, you know, let's get going. And they have that, they have that energy. They have so much to teach us, so much to teach us. So Definitely. that's, um, that's wonderful. Go ahead, Kathy. I think that I totally agree with what you're saying that the kids have that, you know, they, there's no fear there of failure. And I think what we're seeing with a lot of adults, I know this is what I'm seeing is paralysis by analysis. We're seeing so much stuff. We're being so inundated with information. I listened to a podcast the other day that said, have compassion for yourself. If you feel like this is the moment where you should be writing the great American novel and you're not because you're still in your pajamas and it's four in the afternoon, have compassion for yourself. Because if you think that this was the, the isolation that you needed to spark your creativity, um, she challenged, the podcaster challenged and said, maybe you're not isolated enough because you are still getting input and it's this input from the news and it's input from web, the, the, the internet and so on and so forth. And, and that, like you're saying, we do need to just let go of those fears and, and stop being so afraid. Um, yeah, there's stuff to be afraid of. There's certainly stuff to be afraid of, but if we let that hold us back, then like you're saying, then we're not going to be tapping into these great opportunities that are really thinking outside the box. You know, like you said, I can imagine how, how wonderful it would be um, if children came and physically distanced themselves, but drew and did some lovely art on a black, you know, um, uh, parking lot. And the residents that were in the nursing home could watch out their own windows and watch it happen and then see it after the fact. I mean, there are wonderful ways that we can, there's so, so many different things we can do. I love that idea. I think that's great. But it might take that, that um, inspiration from the children that are not paralyzed by the analysis of all of this that will hopefully spark some new stuff for all of us. I saw on the news the other day, and I, I don't know if it was in our community or not. It might have been because it looked like it was cold and snowing yesterday. But they had a mini zoo come out. And they were all bundled up in their jackets, but they had, they had their, you know, face gear and stuff on. But they were, like, just loving petting the goats and the mini ponies and the, you know, the bunnies, all of that kind of stuff. And just, you know, having something normal. Getting out, even though the breeze was was way past a breeze. I mean, it was a, a stark wind, but even through their face masks, you could, you could tell from their cheeks, they were smiling. You know, that's another thing I guess I'd like to mention is it's so important too, for people with dementia or, you know, lots of other chronic illnesses too. They need to see the facial expressions. If anybody knows of a way to make a safe face mask that it, you could still see a smile. In the Netherlands, you see more and more, they have a face mask and then they have a, a, a photograph of the person who is behind the face. There's a photo of the face on the, on the, so people can see, okay, you are Jane, okay, you are Tom. Because, oh, that's a great idea. Yes. Great idea. I know I've seen some people that have, they've started to make smiles and stuff on their masks. Yeah, and they have, they have, here, they have here a photograph. Mm-hmm. People well, it looks like a nice big one too. So yes, yeah. Yes. Oh, that's a, that's a great, great idea. I, I love all this stuff. I, I do think that there's so much that, 
so much more that we could do. And we almost need our local news channels to curate things, you know, ideas like this um, and that people are doing. Um, but again, one of the problems is, well, depending on which news channel you listen to, they need to collaborate together and join that information. We need to make it easier for people instead of saying, well, this is, this is what I've mined and this is what I've found, so I'm going to put it in my little thing. We really need something bigger and broader um, to, to, um, to be able to tap into and maybe even a think tank you know, for people to get creative and who want to come together and, and see if they can get out into the community and make those things happen. And, and I think that's happening again on a smaller level, but a lot of times you'll have, you know, um, uh, and this might sound bad, but I think we, again, we need to integrate. We might have some blue collar workers who want to do this. We might have some people in the medical field who know really what the need is. And then we've got some CEOs that might have the cash to be able to do it or make it function. We have to pull everybody together, you know, to work together. It's, it's bigger than class. It's, it's bigger than any of us. And I think that's part of the, part of the beauty um, within all of this. Any other comments that people want to make? Kathy, anything else from you? Um, I just want to say, you know, I definitely have noticed here in our neighborhood much more of appreciation, at least in my household, more appreciation for what they consider now essential workers, which, like you said, never considered the things that are now essential, just took them for granted before. But I mean, I chased down the mailman the other day to give him a bottle of hand sanitizer. Uh, my husband chased down the garbage man the other day for that. And it was amazing the stories that they shared with what little they are given and how appreciative they were of us chasing them down to give them that. Um, I love also the idea of a think tank, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because my husband uses a CPAP for, um, what does he have? Uh, whatever he uses CPAP for. I okay. know, I, I'm going blank too. <laughs> it's a sleep disorder. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. Not breathing, but. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Anyway, he uses a CPAP machine, and like two weeks ago, he said, you know, I wonder if there's a way to turn a CPAP machine into a ventilator because there's so much talk about the, the lack of ventilators for people. And we started going online to try to see if there was a place for people, blue collar, white collar, whatever you think, if you've got an idea, throw it out there. Somebody might be able to grab it and go, yes, and tie it with something else. And then there you go. There's your innovation. Couldn't find anything on the internet. But then of course, about a week ago, we found that someone did think, yes, a CPAP machine can be something we can turn around, and they're doing that now. So he was very happy to think, I'm, I'm at least in the realm of thinking the way other people are thinking, and it would be great to start to see just a website with just ideas, you know, like you're talking about the kids with the chalk, I mean, the zoo. And, and my hope really is that because we're going to see hopefully a, resur a, a surgence of this new creative thinking outside of the box, I hope that that doesn't die off once this whole thing settles down. I hope that in dementia care itself, we can continue to start to think outside the box beyond bingo and birthdays. And let's think about creative ways to create connection, real true social connection with people. Because we've had this opportunity now to sit on our butts and think about it. Let's put it all into a source and let's try to find ways that people can come together and do that. Why don't you use Reddit? Yeah, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful idea. And it's, and, and I, I don't, I think the creativity is going to stick. I think people have really been stymied in their jobs, feeling very controlled and haven't been allowed to kind of get those wheels going. And I think, 
I think the CEOs are seeing the importance of the creativity and what is happening just in terms of what they're doing. And I think it, it goes, you know, much, it, as much as I want that to happen with dementia, it really is a community need. You know, we, we've stifled ourselves. And I think in stifling ourselves, we've made some of those um, social and economic um, disparities larger because we've believed we can't instead yep. of believing that we can with that. James, how about you? Any last minute comments? Beginning to What I'm beginning to see at our facility is um, actually an increase in the amount of people visiting the residents. Yes, they're doing it safely. They're doing it from outside of their, their room windows. Uh, but there are families bringing by flowers and, and uh, driving by and doing little parades outside in the, in the parking area. But there is more involvement now, and I hope that doesn't go away when we, we have a cure and get out of the, the dust storm of, of corona. The socialization uh, is, is so critically important for people like myself in facilities to, to still be able to interact and still be able to, to know the world out there still cares about what's happening. Uh, but right now, uh, I, I think the uh, coronavirus has actually helped people to realize the importance of their loved one that is in a facility. So uh, I know I spend uh, every day, I go out and we have a patio area in the back where there's a nice garden and I feed the birds uh, in, in hummingbird feeders and regular bird feeders. Just so residents have a place to sit down outside, get some fresh air and appreciate that, that deep cleansing breath and enjoy the beauty. I think we need to keep those kind of things up even after this is all said and done. I, I like the word, uh, James, you talked about uh, interact. It's very important. It's important for everybody. But we can, we can talk with each other. We can talk, we can think, we can think out of the box. But when you have dementia in a way, you cannot think in the way we do. You cannot express in the way we do. So the words are very few. Then it's, it's for me, it's important to touch people because people want to be touched. And it's not only by, by, by uh, I think it's physical. Just hold a hand. There's a lot of communication when you hold your hand, when you hold the hand of somebody else. And I, I, I work with people with dementia also in a very, you know, they are hidden, they are completely hidden in themselves and they can't understand what's going on. And that's these people I'm worried about. And I think the, the best professional is the one who really wants to listen to this person. That we have to do, to listen to the person who cannot talk. Uh, for me, it's, 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 this has to be the attitude. Uh, and I, I, it's, a, it's a very perfect, all kinds of, of things are organized by um, um, uh, virtuality, uh, 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 by, by computer, by iPad, etc., etc. Yes, it's okay when you can talk, but when you cannot talk, it's very difficult to live in that. I hope we can touch each other. You touched me <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a virtual world, yes. You're talking about touch, which is really important, and you're talking about listening. And I think people are have finally slowed down enough where they are reading nonverbals that they probably ignored before. So I think in that sense, it has expanded our ability to communicate. 
Um, and I think people are feeling the loss of touch. You know, yeah. people who are isolated alone and not seeing anybody, um, you know, it's much different than somebody who still has a family that they're living with. And, and that can be a good and a bad thing in an isolation time <laughs> at, at times, you know, uh, for, for all parties. But I think, you know, people are just really looking at things very, very differently. And it's, and it's wonderful. I would also, if anybody knows, I, I've reached out to one person. I haven't done an expansive thing. We talked about humor, but I think music is really important too. And I would like to facilitate, and I can't sing, and I'm not a musician, but I would love to, I would love to facilitate like a sing-along for people on Zoom and just, you know, so that they can gather because I know that that's important to a lot of people and just doing something like that. So if anybody knows of somebody, I would be more than glad to facilitate a platform, you know, for that to be, that to be done. So I think we're, we're, we need to go ahead and wrap up and close. And, and Hertz, any, um, why don't you give out what you'd like for contact information for your website, email, et cetera? It's, it's my name, kiatbettinger.com. Okay. And, okay. And they can just get to you email wise through your website and get the book there as well. Okay. We'll just list that then. And James, how about how about you? Do you want people to contact you on Facebook through your personal name or through your group name? It's easier actually to find me in the group because it has become a very large uh, dementia group. It's called Dementia Family Friends and Caregivers. And okay. then we also have a smaller version uh, of that uh, for the, the Texas area. But the global one is Dementia Family, Friends, and Caregivers. We also have a group by the same name on LinkedIn. Wonderful. But right now, I'm trying to figure out a way so that Kathy and, and you and I can actually go over to uh, Herz Country and, and, and visit him when this is all over, just to touch him on the arm and say, hello, it's nice to meet you. Yeah, give so him a hug. plan that trip. Uh, yeah. I don't know what they drink in his country, but uh, <laughs> I'll bring some Texas beer. Uh, we'll introduce him, some stuffed jalapenos. Yep. <laughs> we'll see if we can get we'll see if we can get a company to sponsor a hug. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> On that. Okay, thank you James. And then Kathy for your contact information, what would you like people to have? Sure. I would love people to go onto the website, DementiaRawRAW.net. Um, the very first page that pops up is all the information for that virtual support group. I would love to start to talk to more people about what they're going through and support them in any way I can. Um, our email is silverdawninfo at gmail.com. And the book that uh, I wrote is available on Amazon. It's called Start With Yes. And there's no better time right now than to dig into a book that might help you. And Start With Yes is a book that we have, I wrote and we've timed it so it can take a caregiver no more than a week to finish it if they devote just 10 minutes a day to it. And the book is something that anybody can pick up and read. Children from the ages of nine all the way up. And the whole family can share it while they're sheltered in place right now. And um, immediately start to have some great content on how to connect with grandma and grandpa, whether it's via the iPad or a Zoom call or a telephone call. So um, again, that's called Start With Yes. And Lori, I really appreciate you having me on your show because it has been so wonderful to see fresh faces <laughs> I haven't seen in so long. 
<laughs> well, great. Well, I appreciate everybody coming together on this and, and all of your information. It was just great. And I think, uh, I think it'll help people get a little more creative, maybe a little more patient. Um, think of the terms that we're using and maybe you should switch to some other terms. And, you know, if you're listening and you would like to be on the show, have some ideas, please reach out to me at Lori at alzheimerspeaks.com uh, or you can just go to the main site alzheimerspeaks.com there's a big contact button there you can uh, we, we can go from there but thank you all so much um, appreciate your time keep up the great work and we will all get through this uh, shelter and isolation and uh, be back together even though the world might be a little bit different I think our hearts and souls are going to be more firmly grounded in terms of what we really value after all this, which I think is a great thing. So thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And wrapping up again, I just want to thank you all for sticking with us. And I hope you found this show really informational and helpful, maybe to lift your spirits, get a little creative, share with others. So please like, click and share as you have in the past and subscribe that helps not only you be notified when we have new content, but it will help you push it out to other people in need because we all have people in our spheres that are dealing with this. We don't even know we're dealing with it. This show's a little bit special because it's COVID and with that, everyone's dealing with it. So people need to hear these conversations. Anyways, that's my belief. I hope it's yours too. Keep safe, keep healthy, and keep washing those hands and staying self-isolated. Bye now. Well, hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.